You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are Alex Dace from Mtombo Wealth and Derek Janssen von Rensburg from Anchor. If you'd like to send questions, please SMS 41392 or email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za. Alex, Derek, good evening to you both. Alex, if I may start with you this evening, it was a slightly iffy day on the market, unless, of course, you were a holder in Textainer. And interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, Pick and Pay, which also had a pretty good day. Um, but general, uh, generally, the mood of the market quite tepid. Yes, good evening, Gilletto. Now, while the market has been under pressure pretty much since the end of July, the last two and a half months have been very difficult. Today's no exception. So, once again, the resource has been most under pressure. You know, the platinum as well as the gold mining companies giving quite a few back, but the gold has been strong uh, this month as well. So, you have to be cognizant of that. Mm. I think PGMs, there's a bit more concern about the fundamentals. However, we have seen a big rally in, in rhodium of late. And that's what's done well, of course, is on the on the industrial space. You know, a couple of, of retailers like the Spark Crews did well, uh, Pick and Pay, as you alluded to, and then Textainer with the buyout of. Uh, now, so Textainer has been has been cheap for a number of years, and even got, since it got unlisted from Trenco, I think it's done over five hundred percent. And if this buyout offer, you know, they've got another month, I guess, to see if there's going to be any more upside. So certainly, if you're Textainer shell, they're very happy. Mm. Pick and Pay. Perhaps better with more of a dead cat balance, I would say, at the moment, but certainly one is on our radar going forward. Yeah. Um, Derek, do you know anyone who, uh, who was a Textainer shareholder? Because um, it was one of those sort of very niche shares, shall we say, on the JSE. Uh, it had maybe a couple of supporters who, who knew the business quite well, but it really wasn't a, a commonly known or held stock, uh, I, I imagine. Yeah, I must say, I think, uh, you know, it kind of slipped by the wayside that one i think obviously just looking at some of the valuations with some of these shares <clears throat> you know it obviously looks very interesting from a buyout perspective or a merger perspective so you know you could probably expect a little bit more corporate action in some of these undervalued shares but certainly it did slip by the wayside in terms of uh, fitting into portfolios so nice to see a bit of a bounce in a stock for a change but uh yeah, it did did slip by the wayside. So not many shareholders uh, on my side that, that, that have got that textainer exposure. Yeah. Just more generally, before I get to the uh, to questions and to some of the, the company-specific news today, uh, you saw um, the hedge fund manager, Bill Ackman, saying he stopped uh, going short of, of bonds. Um, and he just said there's uh, – he also said there's too much risk in the world – so what does that actually mean? Because you had bond yields going above 5% for the first time since 2007. And then on that news, they came down. Um, maybe sticking with you, Derek, how do us lay people interpret what's happened there? Well, obviously, he's been uh, short in the bond market, which has is, is played out quite nicely for him in that, um, you know, every short has to be bought back at some point, you know. So obviously, we've had this bond market move and literally very much a straight line if you just look at those yields and how sharply they've climbed to these levels you know you know at some point this cycle is going to turn you know it's difficult to call exactly the timing of it but um, it certainly does give a little bit of support from a buying perspective knowing that you've got this short position being closed out and you're happy to be buying bonds at these levels so uh, you know there was certainly some buying that happened there and some movement into that um, and it probably did cause a bit of a turnaround if you just look at it from a yield perspective. You know, bonds generally at the moment are, are looking quite attractive as an asset class. So 
you know, locking in some good uh, sort of hard currency returns in the bond market. Yes, you may be exposed to some short-term fluctuation or some short-term capital fluctuation, um, but the yields are looking attractive. So there certainly is an argument to own bonds within the context of a portfolio. Um, and I think that uh, even your long-only fund managers out there or, or asset managers are certainly looking at this bond space and, and having an argument to have a portion of, of exposure to bonds. So mm-hmm. Looks interesting as an asset class, and you can't argue the buying of bonds at this point of the cycle. Yeah, Alex, are you in agreement there? Yes, I read earlier today that lots of fund managers, not only Buckman, um, has been obviously shorting a bonds, and the retail investors have been buying it, specifically in the US, uh, because they believe five percent is quite attractive to look at in over ten years. Um, so, and obviously, the retail money in the US is quite material. So, you know, you have to be careful to continuously bet against that, but. Uh, yeah, I promise agree with Derek. I said I think it's starting to get interesting. It doesn't mean it could be more downside, but remember, retail investors, you know, they they don't need to report back to clients every month. Obviously, if your hedge fund is shorting, things go turn against you quickly. You will have to do the opposite, right? So I think hedge funds will be much more quick in their decisions compared mm-hmm. to retail investors. So it's a difficult one to say where it's going to go mm-hmm. uh, over the short term. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, getting to questions um, uh, this evening, and I'll start with one on Astral Foods. Um, and the viewer says, I bought Astral Foods a couple of months ago. I thought it was a good value around 157 rand a share, and now it's declined quite a lot with the outbreak of avian flu. Uh, would it be a good idea to buy more and hold for 10 years, or should I just stay clear of Astral Foods? Also, I think uh, Deer and Company is a bit pricey, but it's a high-quality brand. Is the recent decline in the share price possibly a good buy and hold opportunity, again, for a long-term outlook? Um, Derek, uh, Astral Foods, it's really the avian flu, um, cri- it's, a, it's a proper crisis for the industry, and, and these guys don't get any government support. Um, what would you do, firstly, um, now at 144 rand a share? Would you pick up some more shares, or would you just leave be for the time being? So I think Astral Foods extremely well-run business. I love uh, I love what they do. Obviously, uh, let's call it uh, almost very industrial-like of nature in terms of you know you you set out to deliver a product to market. You kind of know what your input costs are, and you're looking to make a set margin ultimately at the end of the day. Um, obviously, you've got to watch things like soft commodity prices and input costs that may affect um, your margins. But I think all in all, if you just look at the business through through the cycles that they've they've kind of gone through over the years, it's an extremely well-run business, and they've certainly got a niche in the market that needs to obviously be serviced. So sentiment at the moment quite negative. Um, pulling back a bit, I think it looks like an opportunity. Uh, just be mindful of the fact that uh, we're also dealing with macroeconomic uh, sort of uh, headwinds. You know, whether it be load shedding, um, you know, just a very difficult macroeconomic environment generally you know consumer spend generally is quite low we've seen that come through in some of the in, in the pick and pay results for example in terms of the cost of of uh, diesel for load shedding and how that's affecting some of the retailers so you know whether you call it once off costs or ongoing costs who lo- who knows how long for example load shedding lasts so it's just the macroeconomic environment is quite dire but the business is extremely well run, and I certainly have no doubt that they're going to keep a very close eye on the costs uh, for a business like this. And in better times, you probably find some some definite margin expansion. So mm. I like the business. Sentiment negative. Pullback is probably an opportunity to to accumulate a few few more shares. 
Alex, what is your view? And also, um, as to the question on whether it's a 10-year story, um, I would hazard a guess that you'd probably say no. These are very cyclical companies and you have to be quite active in, in buying and selling at certain points in the cycle. Yes, agreed. Uh, I mean, if you look at the stock share price over 10 or 15 years, you would see it. You know, there's quite material peaks and troughs in there. So this is a type of business you actually want to buy when there's blood on the street. And I mean, Derek highlighted all the issues that's currently facing the industry. Uh, and then obviously, when they, as soon as they, they produce record results, you probably look to exit. Um, you know, obviously, the, if Astral is making losses, you can only imagine what's happening to the rest of the industry. Because mm -hmm. these guys are by far the biggest scale, the most efficiently run strong balance sheet. Um, so I think there is going to be decent, the overall market's going to be decimated, and Astral most likely will gain market share. So whenever the cycle does turn, theoretically, it could be even bigger business going forward. So um, obviously, I'm a bit more greedy. I would love to share price to come down a little bit more, but even these levels, uh, I think if you take a two to three year view, you most likely will make some money, in my view. Um, but certainly, I mean, things can go even from bad to worse. We don't know, but. Uh, you know, I think it's time to pull the trigger on, on Astral personally. Okay. And then Deer and Company, and I presume the viewer is talking about the, the, the US-listed company. Um, it's a pricey, he says, but a high-quality brand. The recent decline in the share price, possibly a good buy. Alex, staying with you, um, is this a company that you follow at all? So I missed the first part of the question. Which company was you referring uh, to? Deer and Company. So John Deere, the, the, the uh, big uh, capital equipment company. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I don't look at these stocks professionally, uh, so I can't give you a detailed or informed opinion on, on John Deere, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, um, Derek, is it something that you look at? Yeah, so I, I think you've got to put in perspective how you value this business in terms of, again, you, you know, equities at the moment are generally quite out of favor for all the reasons that we know, where, you know, Economically, companies are kind of tightening the belt a little bit. There's not a lot of uh, expansion and growth taking place. This is very much a growth story on the back of economic growth. So if you just look at it from a global perspective, I think they certainly are a great brand and have got um, quite a big market share across the globe. So I think that it's a well-known brand. Um, you just got to keep an eye on those valuations and just kind of say, okay, well, you know, if it is going to kind of look uh, undervalued relative to what it has in the past, that's the, obviously the time to accumulate. Um, but certainly um, you need the, also the backdrop of, call it global growth in general, to really get kick-started and to actually start to see some momentum and earnings for a company like this. Mm. And as we were talking about where the bond yields and the interest rate cycle is at the moment, you almost want to wait for that to turn and then kind of uh, look to position yourself in those growth companies uh, going forward. So good business, keep an eye on it. I need to do some homework on the valuations and understand exactly where it is uh, relative to past valuations. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then uh, a quick question before the break and a couple of longer ones afterwards. Uh, can your panel give their view for the long term, well, 12 months, for Mr. Price shares as a buy? Uh, Alex? I don't know if you would consider that the long yes. term. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's a difficult one for me, Mr. I mean, you you could see the optionality. Well, my surprise should do okay with the economic situations changes, but I've been quite concerned about the acquisitions they've done over the last few years. I'm not convinced by those acquisitions. I think it, it most likely can be uh, value destructive going forward. 
and I would have preferred them to rather invest in their core business and buy back shares and so forth. But I've gone for business like Power Fashion, which if you think about it, that's just a poor man's Mr. Price. I should have rather take, taken them on more organically. You know, the upper chef, more on a higher end, that's, that's very niche, doesn't have a lot of scope for, for growth. And then I've also introduced uh, a Studio 88, um, which actually brings fashion risk into the business. And Mr. Price is not renowned for fashion, they're renowned for value. Um, so I do mm. have some reservations. I'm not sure the management team there is as strong as it used to be uh, in Mr. Price. Um, and overall, retailers, same for, I, can, I guess say, say the same for Fushini as well. I mean, Truth is the only one that, for me at the moment, if you have to buy a clothing retailer, uh, be my focus because they are focusing more on giving capital back to shareholders, uh, you know, uh, good dividends, getting efficiencies out of like businesses in, in the UK office. Um, but I think our retailers have gone on an acquisition spree, which has been disastrous to say the least. And uh, as a result, my surprise for me is not doesn't doesn't deserve the premium it used to have. Okay, um, Derek uh, Alex was saying he's quite negative about the company, especially with regards to some of the acquisitions it's done. Uh, are you similarly a bit dubious about Mr. Price's prospects over the next 12 months? I think Mr. Price, short term, has probably overpaid for, for some of the recent acquisitions, uh, as alluded to by Alex earlier. So I think short term, no one anticipated such a sharp sort of rise in the interest rate cycle that we've seen over the last 12 months in particular. So that generally will have a very sort of adverse effect on any clothing retailer generally as people start to tighten their belts and obviously watch their expenditure. So macroeconomic, I don't think the sort of uh, stars are aligning for any of the clothing retailers just mm. yet. But if they can just focus and look at synergies within the existing core business of Mr. Price with those acquisitions that they've obviously brought in, have some kind of a marketing plan as to how they're going to roll out and increase customer base in things like Yuppie Chef or even Studio 88, for example, I think that they are well positioned. It has over the years generally been a very well managed business. For now, probably doesn't deserve the, the sort of highly rated valuation that it has in the past, but I still like the business. Who knows where the bottom's going to be and who knows where the yeah. top and the interest rate cycle is going to be. But I certainly believe that when things do start to turn over the next 12, 18 months or 24 months, there's definitely some leverage in a business like this to deliver some really good solid profits going forward. So weakness accumulates, but be patient with it. Can I just ask both of you uh, whether or not you're going to be paying close attention to whether or not uh, in the midterm budget policy statement, uh, the finance minister announces an end to the social relief uh, of distress grant and whether or not you think... Uh, that's something that if you're an investor in any sort of retail share on the JC that you better pay close attention to, Alex? Or do you think that it's really unlikely that they would do that? Look, I mean, we are, elections are not that far off, so I think politically that might not be the best decision to do so, you know, considering the polls and so forth. But also, I must remember that those, those grants are for most people just to survive. On a month month basis. Um, clothing does have some form of discretionary spending to it. So, I mean, that will probably be it's your food retailers more. I imagine like someone like a shop right and, and so that is taken away. Mm. But even though we can't afford it, I, I don't think in the moment, you know, from a social perspective, that is going to be on the cards or can be restricted done in my view. Um, you know, until we economic activity picks up and, you know, we start generating more jobs, which is very unlikely, unfortunately, uh, very short to medium term. Yeah. Uh, Derek, is it something that you're worried about or like Alex, do you think it's unlikely to happen? 
Yeah, I think that sort of um, that grant really does talk more to the food retailers as opposed to the clothing retailers. I think it is something to keep an eye on. But if government were going to make a big sweeping policy change like that, I think they'll do it in a very phased fashion as opposed to just kind of switching the tap off at once. So that's also something to keep in mind where you, you see it get phased out and hopefully that comes at the back end of a high interest rate cycle and kind of the market can absorb it in a much better fashion. So I don't think it's something to worry worry about, particularly with the clothing retailers. Okay. But yes, it is certainly something to, to kind of keep an eye on as we start to see further news unfold. But hopefully we see it phased out as opposed to switching the tap off completely. Yeah. Okay. And here's quite an interesting question. And the viewer says, I'm hoping the panel can assist in identifying the second best option in a few industries. Examples listed below. Standard Bank, second to first rand. I'm sure Standard would disagree with that. Woolworths to ShopRite. Stadio, second to Advtech. All else being equal, organic growth should be easier to obtain. Um, Alex, do you agree with that thesis that that actually maybe you don't want to look for the, the best in the industry because I suppose maybe the assumption being that the best in a sector equals the most expensively priced. I'm, I'm assuming that that is, is the contention here. And do you agree with that? I mean, I think firstly, you must be careful to the comparisons you make. Sometimes not apples for apples. Um, you know, so for example, comparing Woolworths to ShopRite is not apples for apples. I mean, Woolworths has got a big business in Australia as well as the food component, right? So we, so only uh, a certain aspect of Woolworths actually is comparable to ShopRite and also it's only on the top end. So only Woolworths only competes with checkers. It doesn't compete at all with ShopRite and, and USAVE and, and so forth. So be careful for that. But I don't think necessarily the rationale is that bad. I mean, it, it does make sometimes sense. We, we do have an incumbent which is perhaps too big or you know, um, too rigid in its approach. I mean, Tiger Brands is a classic example. Um, you know, late for, for many, many years. And then, unfortunately, poor management came in and, you know, the decisions hasn't been made. I'm not talking about recent, I'm talking about pretty much the last 15 or 20 years. Mm. And it's allowed all the competitors to come in. You know, and now Tiger Brands is quite far beyond the ball. I mean, Pick and Pay was the same. Pick and Pay 20 years ago was far ahead of, of ShopRite. So you do get this, you know, cyclicality when it comes to these. Study and advertise, once again, is also not comparable. Uh, I mean, study only focuses on, you know, it's just like an online university with a few campuses, but obviously advertise has got a resourcing business, it's got schools as well. Um, you know, so, for example, study is going to benefit from UNISA. You know, and UNISA, we all know, is an absolute shambles. Um, so I would say, yes, study will certainly gain market share relative to UNISA. Um, you know, and so that's perhaps one that I really find interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, good, good rationale, but... Make sure you compare apples with apples. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Derek, your view? And I mean, for example, uh, Alex didn't really discuss First Rand versus Dan Bank, for example. So I think it actually, the, the way to sum this up is it all comes down to market share. The market within the context of any economy is so big. So when you've got competing businesses, you're always going to have a business that trades at a higher valuation because of the product offering, the market share that they've got, um, and their ability to deliver leveraged uh, profitability on the back of that. So I would say, you know, a good good example is to just look within the food retailers. So you can see sort of the fallout with something like a pick and pay and the uptick in something like a ShopRite. And it's probably because you see ShopRite gaining quite a significant amount of market share 
um, taking away from pick and pay, for example. So you've got to be of the belief that your sort of second favoured stock within a particular sector has got the ability to steal and gain market share from the tier one um, market leader within that certain sector. So, you know, they're all going to probably be quite closely correlated, but you're going to get your sort of outperformance uh, on the back of marketing strategies, how they, how they, their ability to take that market share away, and that's what's going to give you your sort of outperformance of the second tier stock within a sec- uh, within a certain sector. So, okay. you know, it all moves in cycles. Um, 6060 is a great example of how they've managed to deliver some really good market share over the last uh, 24 months and, and sort of home deliveries uh, from a checker's perspective. Pick and pay were a little bit slow to the uptake in that regard. Obviously, they're up to speed now. But, yeah, you've just got to look at their marketing strategies and how they're going to essentially take that market share at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, And then moving on, uh, viewer says, please could you ask the panel how come Mondi and Nedbank have come down so much? Also, their views on AVI. Um, Alex, uh, I haven't had a look at Nedbank recently, but maybe start with Mondi. Um, What's keeping the pressure there? uh, Mondi gave an update sometime last week. Um, It was slightly below expectations. And as a result, there's a bit of a sell-off in the share price there. That, of course, also a success in the sale of the Russian assets. So there was one positive, one negative. Um, but Mondi remains a good, solid business, uh, very good cash generation, strong balance sheet, but doesn't have high organic growth potential, but will still grow in euro terms. So I don't think it's a bad investment to have over medium term. Uh, AVI, of course, I mean, there's been a bit of a sell off in SA Inc. over the last two and a half months. So I think you have to look at that perspective there. I think AVI is still pretty much in the region of, call it, fairly valid to slightly attractive. And then the banks, I think NetBank for me is very attractive from a relation perspective. Um, Upside and even Standard Bank, I think the banks in general are looking quite interesting for me from a valuation perspective. Um, and I would say any weakness there is probably a, not a bad opportunity to top up or buy some banks. Uh, not going to shoot the lights out, but if a good dividend deals you're going to get and you know, you're lucky double digit capital returns, you're looking at a very good t- total return narrative. Yeah. Um, Derek, I mean, uh, would you say Nedbank um, in particular, you know, it's just symptomatic of the sell-off that you've seen in South African stocks? And so there's nothing yeah, absolutely. particularly um, absolutely. acute to it. Sorry. Yeah. No, so, so I'm interrupting you. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think the, the whole SA banking sector, after having a really good run in the first half, half of this year, has come off a little bit. They've all sort of reported, they've given almost... Uh, sort of somber outlook statements, uh, all talking about the economy um, in terms of, uh, you know, high interest rates, lack of consumer spend, et cetera. Um, but you've seen things look at a proxy like first rand peaking around 72 rand not so long ago, did pay a nice dividend recently, but sitting, I think it was trading at around 60 rand at some point today. So NetBank obviously quite closely correlated, um, a little bit more of a high beta business relative to the other banks. Um, but, you know, I think valuation-wise, it looks interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the banking sector in general is probably quite a nice, safe way to, to play the SA Inc. Uh, theme at the moment. So at these prices and the sell-off that these banks have had, I think all the banks look quite interesting, yeah. to be quite honest. Okay. So then very quickly, your stock picks this evening, gents. Alex, what's yours? Yeah, so I'm going for attack. Um, I've been highlighting quite a few property companies the last few times I've been in the show. So 
attack the middle of the ones again, good results. I think they were very well positioned. That did, of course, conclude that, that recent GPF uh, transaction, which means the LTV will probably be in the region of high 20s, which is a very good place to be. Uh, and at that strong balance sheet, most likely they can do share buybacks, or even increase the stake in mass real estate. That's a company they own a part on that's been under pressure. So and I think both these options, buying back their own shares or, or mass, is probably better from a yield perspective compared to doing new developments in this very tough economic condition. So that's all nice options to be. I think they're going to have a decent year going forward. I expect high single digits in, uh, in disputable growth earnings. I think the NAV is conservatively valued, you know, and, and because it's relatively new, when they made this predominantly waterfall, um, the capital requirements are lower, yeah. and yet stock is trading at the discounted book of more than 50%. So for okay. me, uh, patience is required, but I think it offers a very compelling opportunity uh, over medium term. Okay, great. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Jerry, how about you? Uh, I'm going to be very quick. My stock is is uh, SA Lauder. I, um, this is just really a call on the luxury goods space at the moment, which has been very much under pressure for all the reasons that we've discussed this evening, just a very sort of low economic growth environment. I think the stock market is probably priced in quite a, quite a, quite a bad outcome for a lot of the luxury goods shares. And SA Lauder very close to five-year lows at the moment. So, yes, luxury brand. Um, I like the portfolio of goods that they deliver to market, operate in different geographies. If we do start to see a bit of a turnaround and an uptick over the next 18 months, I think there's some nice leveraged upside to a stock like this, and it's offering a good entry at these levels. So tonight, FSA Lauder. Okay, gents, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Uh, Derek Ganser van Rensburg is from Anchor. Alex Dace is from Umtomba Wealth. And up next, the close. Stay with us. Thank <laughs> you.